Welcome to the PCTR Podcast. I'm Robbie Itterberg, Senior Pastor. I want to thank you for listening today. We hope that you hear from God and that this podcast encourages you in your faith journey. You can connect with us on social at facebook.com slash PCTRNJ or our Instagram handle, PCTRNJ. Or you can find more information or resources at PCTR.org. Have a great day. Peace. As we move into our message for today, I'm wondering, have you ever thought about why PCTR exists? Why God has put this particular church in this particular place? You know, every church of God exists certainly to make Him known, to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, to make disciples who will make disciples, but Specifically, why does PCTR exist? What are we supposed to be about? Well, late last year, our elders, after a season of discernment, articulated what we believe is the answer to that question. We believe PCTR exists, that our role is to be connecting people to full life in Jesus Christ. Connecting people to full life in Jesus Christ. And so everything we do, everything we're about, we want it to be about that particular goal. And you may have lots of questions about that and may just wonder, to begin with, what is full life in Jesus Christ even mean? And we did talk about this last year in a sermon series that was called Full Life, and so you can find that if you want on our YouTube channel, PCTRNJ. But in short, full life is this. It is abundant, flourishing life, overflowing life, as opposed to surviving, just getting by and being overwhelmed. It is a life of thriving where every facet of our lives is flourishing. Our relationship with God, our relationships with one another, with our neighbors, even how we see ourselves is transformed radically. It's a life characterized by the fruit of the Spirit, so it's filled and overflowing with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and yes, even self-control. It's a life of belonging. It's a life of meaning. It is full. It's the life that at the depth of our being we long for, and it's the life that God wants to give us as a gift through Jesus Christ. It's a gift to be received. But like the gifts in our lives, we need to be in the right place where the gift is to receive it. It's kind of like if, if you've ever done one of those 50-50 raffles, maybe it was a fundraiser for a good cause, and you know those raffles where you get one of those colored tickets, and there's two of them with the same number, and so one of them goes in the bucket, and you hold on to the other, clutching it for the moment, where later on, they'll pull the one ticket out of the bucket, and they'll read the number out, and if it's your ticket, you win, and if you're really in the right spirit, you give back your winnings because it was for a good cause in the first place, right? But the thing about these raffles is you have to be present to win, don't you? When the drawing comes, you need to be in the right place. And so the same is true. We need to be present in the ways and the places that God intends for us so that we can receive the gift he wants to give us. This is what our new sermon series is all about, this series that we're calling Finding Full Life. It's about 
Where do we need to be? Actually, even better, what practices are we to participate in to put ourselves in the places and the posture where we can receive the gift of full life in Jesus Christ that God desperately wants to give each and every one of us? This is a, it's a three-part series because this is a three-part strategy also adopted by our elders with confidence that as more and more of us embrace and participate in these parts, these practices that each of us individually will connect more fully to, to that full life in Jesus Christ, and in the process, we will connect others who may be far from Jesus to full life in Jesus Christ as well. And so each week in this series, we're going to look at one of these practices. And so this morning, we're starting with the practice of gather to worship. And you may be like, well, duh, that's why I'm here. But there is a lot to this practice, and there's plenty of there for us to reflect on, and even if you are in worship each and every week physically, there's plenty for us to consider, and an invitation perhaps to more, and to a posture that allows more of that full life to be realized in your life. And so we're going to jump in and read from Hebrews chapter 10, and if you'd like, you can follow along on the screen, but let's listen together for God's word for us this morning. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is, his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would add your blessing to the reading and the proclaiming of your word, that you would give us the ability to hear and receive and respond, that we could be in a posture that allows us to receive the full life that you intend for us through Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. So in the first few verses of what we just read, the author of Hebrews has basically summed up everything else that he's been writing about for the first ten and a half chapters. And so that's why it begins with a therefore since, right? Because of all this, Therefore, since all of that, now let's talk about how we're to live in light of that. <clears throat> the author has been arguing that about the supremacy of the ministry of Jesus Christ, which is greater than the law, than the prophets, than Moses, than angels. It's greater than all of the priesthood. And he argues that all of our hope and the foundation for our lives is based on what God has done for us through his son, Jesus Christ. And so now how? are we to live? And in verse 25, gets right to it, let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing. 
This phrase, meeting together, is actually incorporates the word synagogue in Greek. And synagogue is a reference to the idea of people gathering, maybe they're scattered throughout the nations, but gathering for the worship of God, united. And throughout the history of God's people, whether scattered across the nations in distant lands or gathered in the promised land, God's people were a gathering people. That's how worship happened. And so this letter in this passage is encouraging them and us to not neglect meeting together, as apparently some had become in the habit of doing. Now, there's lots of reasons that may have happened. And actually, maybe the most realistic reason was because of persecution. He's writing to a people that were persecuted probably on a number of fronts. These were historically Jewish people that had come to the faith, and so they were persecuted when they went to the temple because they were believing that Jesus was the Messiah and were even kicked out. They were persecuted in the Roman Empire because they believed Jesus was Lord, and that stood in direct opposition to the claim that Caesar is Lord, and there was violent persecution against the followers of Jesus. And so perhaps they wanted to avoid gathering together in groups because they didn't want to draw attention to themselves. I mean, that's reasonable and understandable, isn't it? But it's also possible that the demands of life had crept in, that they had become busy with all sorts of different kinds of things. And so it just became a habit that they were not gathering. They didn't set out to stop going to the gathering of believers. It just may have happened over time, slowly, a slow drift that perhaps was rooted in busyness or laziness or apathy, but really the reason doesn't matter because the writer doesn't tell us. What's really important is that we don't miss out, that we do not neglect the gathering together as some are in the habit of doing. It's just too important. Now, I want to acknowledge that this does not explicitly say gathering to worship, right? It doesn't say meeting for worship on the weekend, though the idea of the synagogue, it would have been understood that worship was a part of that. So you could easily argue, though, from this passage that what's being talked about isn't worship on the weekend. It's talking about well beyond that. And and I want to say, yes, that's true. (laughs) Because the church, Jesus' church, is about so much more than just the corporate gathering on the weekends. And so this is about not neglecting gathering together on the other days and times and places of the week. Matter of fact, the early church We're told in Acts chapter 2, right as the church was born, that they were meeting together daily, that they were sharing meals together, they were studying and learning from the apostles, they were praying for one another, they were sharing life every single day. And so, yes, the church is more than the corporate gathering for worship, but I also want to say it is not less either. That Gathered worship is an essential part of the identity of the people of God and the life of the church. And you might have said, and you might be thinking, and you might talk to people that say, well, can't I worship on my own? Yes, of course you can. Please do, because we're made to worship. See, worship is about giving God the glory and the honor the awe and the wonder and the devotion. It's about showing God how valuable He is to us. 
And so if he's only valuable enough to spend an hour on the weekend giving him our attention, then maybe he's just not that valuable. And so of course, worship every moment of every day. It's all a possibility and a way that you can show how valuable God is to you and how awesome he is. So yes, worship alone because you are made to worship. And we will all worship something or someone even those who are not followers of Jesus worship. The things in our lives and loyalty and affection and trust, the things that we are most passionate about and get, we get most angry when they are threatened, those are the things that we're worshiping. And the invitation in this passage is to worship the God who has made us and the God who has saved us. And can you do that alone? Yes. But we are also made to to assemble together as the gathering of believers to worship God. Now, I, I want to acknowledge very clearly that there are some who can't physically be with us. There are some that are with us right now online. We're grateful that you can gather with us this way, the gift of technology, so we maintain that connection. And I want you to know we, we miss you. <laughs> we love our presence together, but we also understand and if it would be helpful or meaningful for us to come to you, please don't hesitate to reach out. I also know there are seasons in our lives where we can't be beyond our control. There are job requirements and responsibilities. There are life demands. There are physical limitations that keep us away, and I understand that. And this letter was not written to those who can't gather. It's written to those who can, who are able, and who have made it a habit of neglecting the gathering of believers. Now, I, I hear a lot and you may even have said, well, I don't need to go to church to be a Christian. And on one hand, sure, that's right. But it does actually depend on what you mean by that statement, doesn't it? And often what I hear is, well, I mean, I believe in God. I believe in Jesus. I can get to heaven without going to church. Sure. And I can have a relationship with God. I pray all the time. Sure. Sure. And that version of faith will always be stunted. Your Christianity will always be less than the fullness that God intends for it to be if neglecting the gathering of believers. Because to be a Christian, we are also told, is to be united with Christ, to be incorporated into his body along with the other members of his body, with Jesus Christ himself as the head. John Wesley, a great reformer in the history of the church, was said in his journal, the Bible knows nothing of solitary religion. Our American individuality puts such a high emphasis on my individual autonomy and freedom, and yet Jesus came to create a new community, not just a bunch of individuals who happened to be near one another. You may have noticed that it's football season. It's subtle, isn't it? And if not, you probably will notice because today it really gets going. And you know, It's one thing to sit alone and cheer for your favorite team, something that I know something about because there are not too many of us Broncos fans here, but I do know there's a few, and I appreciate you. 
And unfortunately, there hasn't been all that much to cheer about for the Broncos of late, but that's a whole other issue altogether. But have you ever been to a game in the stadium? Man, I remember when I went to my first football game at Mile High Stadium and John Elway was the, pre- the, the quarterback at the time. And I just was so amazed and overwhelmed and it you know, sends chills through your body. And you know, there is nothing like being present with others in the moment. It just can't be recre- recreated another way. It's the same for any kind of sporting event, but it's also the same for concerts or maybe to go into an auditorium to hear a symphony play or even to to go to a Broadway show. To be there with one another live and in the moment is inspiring and moving and you're in this sense of togetherness and belonging with this sea of people all gathered to express worship. Now, I I want to lowercase worship, right? But it is a lot like worship, is it not? Because there is a sense of awe and wonder, of delight and appreciation for things that typically we can't accomplish on our own. That's why we go watch other people do it instead of are the ones doing it. It's a lot like worship. And it it at least points us to the reality that we are made to worship because it draws out of us an appreciation. And when we gather with others, it feeds, doesn't it? It's like a snowball feeding one another that we get caught up in the moment and the excitement. And the same happens as we worship God. We feed off of each other. But see, even in football, gathering in the stands is not about spectating. It's about participating in the event. Like, can you imagine a stadium full of people? Just imagine all Stoics sitting there quietly, watching the game, hands folded across their lap. Maybe occasionally a golf clap. Yes. Yes, very nice. It's ridiculous. Because even those in the stands are a part of the event, are participants in the whole thing. And when we come to worship, it's not about spectating. It's not about what can I get out of it today. It's not about how wonderful is what's being presented to you. It's about participation in the event of worshiping the living God. And you might be like, yeah, but I can't sing. Yes, we know. We can hear you. It's okay. And we love it anyway. As a matter of fact, the louder we sing together, I shouldn't look at you all. The louder we sing together, the more encouraging it is to one another to sing. Right? That's part of why we do have a choir to help lead us into worship. Because it's about, here's what I've got to bring. All I have is me, and it is all I can offer to worship God, to show Him His worth. Our, our nine-year-old daughter, and she just this year started cheerleading. And so I have had time sitting in a variety of events to contemplate the role of cheerleaders at a nine-year-old football game. And what I have realized is that for us, actually, cheerleaders in many ways have just become another thing to watch. But that's not what their role was intended to be. They were supposed to be leading cheers, drawing in those who are in the stands into participation in the event, in the moment. When something discouraging happens, the cheerleaders march right out there and they keep going and keep 
trying to raise the spirits and draw people out. And when something good happens, they're right there leading the way. And yes, I'm sitting at nine-year-old football games. And am I cheering along? Absolutely. (laughs) Go fight, win, whatever it is. To be a participant, that's their role. And that's the role of everyone who comes up front. It's, It's to be cheerleaders, not to do all the cheering, not to do all of the worshiping, but to invite, to lead, and invite you into the act of worshiping the living God who is present among us. And man, I have heard from others who come up front and who lead, and it is a beautiful thing to be sitting in front. And when we hear you really sing out, I'll tell you what, it inspires us. That you begin to lead the choir even as the choir leads you. We feed off of that joy. It's contagious as we worship the living God together. And so, can you worship alone? Yeah, sure. But you miss out on the fullness of it. And I know there's other reasons that that folks have begun and made a habit of neglecting the gathering of believers. And some of those are rooted in very real experiences. Across America, folks have left churches over the years as they have experienced the hypocrisy and judgmentalism in the church, as they have been hurt. And I can't take that away. And I can't deny the reality of it. That's the reality of being a part of an imperfect people who are works in progress. And yet, what I believe deeply is that when we gather to worship in true worship, it does begin to reduce the tendency, these tendencies in us. And you can see it actually in the letter that we read today in this passage because throughout it, it's, it begins with talking about on what basis do we even come to worship in the first place? And this is a letter to the Hebrews, which would have to be the Jewish you know, background Christians, And so, this is drawing on a lot of Old Testament, Old Covenant imagery to help them understand what Jesus has done for them. And so, it talks about the reality of the temple. And in the temple system, there were limits to how far people could go. In the center of the the temple was the most holy place, but there were limits on how far women could go, on how far non-Jewish men could go, on how far Jewish men could go, on how far the priests could go, on how far then the high priest was the only one who could enter the most holy place. But only once a year on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, and only after sacrifices for his own sin and for the sins of the people, because otherwise he would enter and he would die. And the the author to the Hebrews has the audacity to tell us, now enter the most holy place with confidence. What? Are you kidding me? That's how people get dead. And we're supposed to go confidently. Yes, and then draw near with a sincere heart full of the assurance of faith. It's like, what? What the author is getting at is the only basis that they have to think that they can approach God, the only reason that they had the audacity to think that they have any opportunity, privilege to come to God in worship is because what God has done for them through Jesus Christ, it was His blood spilled, His body broken like the curtain torn in two when he died that made the way to God possible. 
God's response to our sinfulness is separation, and yet Jesus stepped into our separation, being forsaken on a cross so that we could approach him with confidence and assurance of faith. In worship, we remind ourselves of that reality over and over and over. And I have lots, hear lots of people say, yeah, but I can worship so well on, on the beach or in the mountains. I'm gonna, and I say, yes. I mean, I'm from Colorado. I grew up in the mountains. I love the mountains. There are few places in the world like standing on the shore of the beach or in the mountains that will inspire awe and wonder that we will feel so small and recognize the enormity of creation and the God who made it. And so is that a moment for worship? Absolutely. We can honor and worship the creator God in those places. But Paul, in Romans chapter 1, warns us. He says, we all have this sense of the creator God, and we look out in awe and wonder. But he says, we will get confused about the true nature of God if that's where we stop. Because the beach and the mountains cannot teach us the true nature of the triune God. The God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit the God who looked on our rebellion and instead of condemning us and rejecting us, sent His only Son, the Son of God, to come and die in our place. The beaches and the mountains can't tell you that story. But in worship, we are reminded of that reality, that story over and over again. And I don't know about you, but I forget stuff. Okay, I know you don't. I, I, I I forget things. And one of the things I forget, particularly when I'm alone, (laughs) is how sinful I am. Kind of in my own echo chamber of myself, I can convince myself that I'm pretty good. But when I start rubbing up against other people, when you spend enough time with me and me with you, and and my sinfulness starts to show and yours, and, and we start to rub against each other, and I'm reminded, oh wait, maybe I don't have it quite all together. And I'm reminded how I have a tendency to make myself the center of the universe. And when we come and we gather to worship, part of it is to remind ourselves, you know what? You keep making yourself the center of the universe, but it's not about you. God is still the center of the universe. Oh, right. I forgot. I forgot. That's why we have our prayer of confession every week in our service. (laughs) We need that reminder. If that's the only time of the week that I'm reminded, then I need that reminder. But see, I can also forget how loved I am. We can all get caught in a shame cycle where we recognize our failure, we recognize our inability to do what we're supposed to do, to change the things about ourselves that perhaps we know need to be changed. And so we try, and the harder we try, actually that makes the shame even more painful because the harder we try and we fail, we realize how helpless we really are. But when we come to worship, we don't just remember our failure, we remember how loved we are that before we cleaned ourselves up, while we were still enemies with God, that's when he loved you, not after you cleaned yourself up, but he loved you so much to send his son to die for you, to die for me. His love came first. And we gather to worship, we have this moment with the assurance of pardon to remind one another. And actually, it's part of why we were intentional this morning about having you participate in that, to turn to your neighbor. 
Because of what God's done for you in Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. You are an encouragement to one another, a reminder to one another of the reality, not just of our sinfulness, but also of how loved we are. When we worship God, there is no space for arrogance and self-righteousness, but there is also no space for self-loathing and self-hatred because we are reminded of how loved we are. We are given dignity and worth and we can turn that and tell others, remind them, and we can give that dignity and worth and honor back to God in worship. So don't just worship alone. Don't neglect the gathering of believers, but instead gather to worship. Worship together. And in that, the writer tells us to consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds and encourage one another. (laughs) That's when we gather. We need you. You've got to participate to spur one another on. Actually, that word literally means to irritate one another. Don't look around. (laughs) Some of you are better than that at others, maybe. But it's like the spurs clicking into the side of a horse. It's a little bit painful. It's a little bit irritating. It's a little bit annoying, but it's all aimed at helping one another live out our purpose in life of love and good deeds, which give the worship and glory to God alone. But when we, it says to consider, it means we need to actually think about it intentionally. How can I spur you on? How can you spur on your neighbor? Well, you're only going to know how to spur them individually and uniquely if you know their story. You've got to get to know each other in and around worship. It's to invest the time to greet, to know one another, to share life together because the way you spur one is not going to be the same the, the, the way you spur another, nor is what's going on in their life or in your life. And we may find that we are in desperate need of encouragement because you may feel alone and you may feel overwhelmed with the burden that you have, but when we gather to worship, we can carry that burden together. We need one another. And when you notice that someone is missing, then reach out, find out why. Explore, investigate, understand what's going on, invite them back, consider how you may spur them on to love and good deeds, to gather, to worship, support them, encourage them. Because when we gather to worship, God wants to give us the gift of full life in Jesus Christ and he wants to give it to us together as we spur one another on, as we encourage one another. And you too will be spurred and encouraged for full life. Let's gather to worship. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your love and your mercy and your grace that is for us in Jesus Christ. We thank you that though we forget You have given us this gift of the gathering of believers to remember well, (laughs) to humble us, but also to remind us of our, our value, our dignity, and our worth through Jesus Christ. Lord, help us to continue to prioritize, to make space, to be able to gather to worship.